0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So glad you're here this morning. Uh, if you can, please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going we're gonna to be at in just a second and launch out in our study today. And I'm so glad that you're here this morning with us uh, to look at God's Word now here together. And uh, we're so thankful for this day. This morning and next week will be a little bit different As we press pause in our study through the book of Luke this week, and and as we will do from time to time, uh, we'll press pause in our sequential preaching, it's what it's called as we move verse by verse through books of the Bible, uh, expositional and sequential preaching. We're going to press pause from time to time so that uh, uh, the Bible can teach us about particular areas or certain things that we need to know and need to learn from God's Word as a church, and we need to know everything. So uh, we're going to be doing, we'll we'll do that often. But today we press pause in order to acknowledge and send off Steadfast Community Church who will be leaving us today. And uh, we're so glad to get rid of them. (laughs) Joke. Uh, This is a church whom we we are so proud of. We're excited about sending off. We're um, anticipating what the Lord will do. And we are so proud of what they stand for. We're so proud of their leadership. Uh, We're so proud of their godly group of people that make up their congregation. And we're proud to stand side by side with them in gospel ministry. And there's already been meetings and And groups of people coming together and servants, and today we'll send off a bunch of them at the end of this service, some from our congregation, maybe about 15 or so from our own congregation. And maybe there's, I think Josh said somewhere around 35 more um, from the Slidell area who have been joining them. And uh, we're excited about a new church being established. We're proud about a new church, a new congregation being developed under Qualified biblical leaders being commissioned for the establishment and the furthering of the gospel and God's glory upon the earth. I mean, that's incredible. We're excited about this and we're, we're excited and, uh, and proud of the fact that this was done right. Um, you hear about a lot of, uh, you know, pragmatic methods to send out church plants. And this was done really well. Uh, Josh... Uh, I remember when Josh started with us. Josh Seal, who's one of the pastors there, uh, started with us early on in his ministry. And I uh, was debating whether or not to go into—I I, think—stay in the military, right, Josh, or or uh, go into ministry. And I'm sure glad he went into ministry. And uh, the church steadfast will have a biblical focus. It has biblical conv- convictions. It has a, a biblical pattern to its ministry, biblical goals. This is a church that's been commissioned by a few things. It's been commissioned by a calling, it's been commissioned by compulsion, by conviction, by character, by competency, and by church confirmation. This is done well, and this is a church that we've slowly invested into along the way and trained and guided and now will release to be their own autonomous local congregation under the governing of qualified elders under the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. And that's incredible. And, uh, and it's not a campus, no one's being streamed in, um, there's nothing like that happening. It's, it's its own autonomous local congregation that will be our sister church. And uh, this is another, and there aren't many, biblical churches being established on the North Shore. And you know, we need more biblical churches on the North Shore. And that's what you need to pray for. That's our prayer and our plan to reform the North Shore. That's our goal to call back to the Bible by filling it with more and more autonomous, biblical, local churches, to equip and send out and fill the North Shore with biblically healthy churches. Can you imagine? Think about this. For the next 50 years and beyond, if God allows us to do it, churches led by qualified men who don't succumb to cultural pressures uh, but remain true to the Scriptures, who will stand firm, stand steadfast, right, on the word of God, no matter what the suffering, uh, no matter the suffering that's experienced or that takes place. And as we establish more of these churches, think about this, our efforts will multiply because as soon as we send off Josh and his team today, we will begin praying that the next pastor or pastors, plural, would rise up and begin to humbly be equipped here and uh, then lead another church in the future. And it's taken us five years to plant this second church and to do it right because it takes a humble leader. It takes someone who's committed to the scripture. It takes biblically uh, qualified goals. It takes a willingness to learn and endure. It takes somebody that others are willing to follow, multiple leaders who are others are willing to follow. And that's hard to find. But imagine this, imagine in the next five years and prayerfully less, if we send out another church. And then what if Steadfast Community Church, which they will do and prayerfully, and we charge Josh, we've talked about this a lot, sends out another church. Then there will we'll have four Reformed churches on the North Shore. Then if in the next five years after that, all four of those churches send out another church. Think about that a biblical church with biblical leadership, then in 15 years here, we'll have eight additional healthy churches on the North Shore. And you get the point, right? We continue and, and, watch, um, and watch God do a, a really incredible work in the hearts of people through the word of God and through healthy churches. And who knows what this place might look like in 50 years. So it's difficult today, because we are uh, watching these people who we love leave our congregation, and although they're only gonna be 30 minutes away, we're not gonna see them very much anymore, at least I hope not. Just kidding, (laughs) Josh. Um, But the kingdom impact necessitates that we do this, right? Oftentimes today, churches are characterized by their keeping capacity, when we should be characterized by the sending capacity right, that we are okay to release and, and stay you know, numerically or to, uh, to let go numerically and uh, not to wanna build our own kingdom but to build God's kingdom which necessitates us sending out people to establish more local autonomous congregations in various places so that the world would have more um, teaching of God's word and, and more healthy community. So it necessitates it, and uh, we need more of these. So what I want to do today, as fits the occasion, is I want to talk about the church, the body of Christ. As we press pause in the book of Luke for a couple of weeks, I taught on Ephesians 1 through 4 last month in the beginning of each message as we talk through the the church and uh, some aspects of it. Um, but I want to do a little bit of a survey on Christ's body, the church, which will eventually lead us to what, um, what must be the biblical foundations for a biblical church. That's where we're going to end up in these next two weeks, right? Today, we'll end up there at the end of this message, and we'll cover one of the six aspects today. Um, but I want to spend the next two weeks doing that. So I've entitled this message and next week's message, Biblical Characteristics of a Biblical Church, and this is part one, and we're going to take a look at about six biblical characteristics, biblical foundations, biblical basics for a truly biblical church, and um, before we do that, I want to kind of launch out from a text because it it feels a little bit strange um, not to start somewhere in the Scriptures and launch out from there. So, we want to look at Ephesians 3, if you can turn there, if you're not already there, to verses 20 through 21. And this is where we're going to launch out. Then we're going to build this argument, and then we're going to land in a place where we understand uh, six biblical aspects for a biblical church, or six biblical characteristics for a biblical church. So, let's uh, start in Ephesians 3 20 through 21. Um, I'll, again, I want this to serve as a bit of a launching pad as we move into this, um, this uh, study on ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. Ephesians three twenty through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. As we begin this study on the church, I just wanna lead us into this study by pointing us to a few things in these verses. First, that it is, at, it is God who is at work in the body of Christ. The true church, which is made up of believers in Jesus, that's the true church, Right? You got the true church of saved believers, which we'll talk about in a second. Then you got the visible church, which will be made up of even, um, you know, the, the the true believers and, and the chaff, which the, in the visible church, you don't we don't know, right? Based upon the fruit, we see what a true believer looks like. But that's what we try to assess, and even admitting membership, et cetera, that someone is a true believer. But in the true body of Christ, in the true, the true believers, it is God, it's God who is at work within those believers. It's God who is at work in the body of Christ. It's his spirit who is, who are, who's in those people, the believers in Christ. And God is at work within them. He is doing what we cannot do. He is doing it according to his power, and he is working in his people in this, what we call the body of Christ. He is presently and actively working in his church. That is in believers, So God does this work, his power is at work. So therefore, listen, he should be the one who is looked to for wisdom in the church. He should be the one who is doing the saving work in the church, the only one who can. He's doing the sanctifying work in his people and that's continually happening. He can do what we cannot do, which is save and sanctify a people for his glory, right? So God is doing the work in the true church. He does this work. He saves, he sanctifies through his word and his spirit. So listen now, he has the method and he has the means by which this church should function. Don't you see that? The trust, if we trust in anything other than his power to work in his church, his work, according to his will, according to his way, any strategy other than that is dishonoring to God. And it's ineffective. No matter how much we might think something's working, it depends on your definition of working, <laughs> right? It could be working according to the world. That doesn't mean it's working in the spiritual realm. And something can look like it's not working in the, in, in the visible, you know, with, with, with what you can see. But in fact, it is accomplishing more than you could ever imagine in the spiritual realm. So we don't decide what works and what's done, what doesn't and do it our way Because if we do, it will not produce anything eternal. Nothing eternal will come from our method and our way and our will and our power in the church. It must be God who is working in a people by his spirit, through his word, according to his power for his glory in his church. Secondly, we see that God is the one who receives glory in the body of Christ. He he is working. He deserves all the glory. It's for him. He deserves all the glory. It's his power. He deserves all the glory. He's created. He's saved. He's sanctifying a people by his spirit through his word for his glory. God deserves all the glory. God is the one who is exalted in the church to whom everything is centered on and focused on in the church. Don't you see that? To him be glory in the what? In the church. The church is not a place to glorify a particular leader. The church is not a place as to use as a platform to seek glory for yourself. It's a set-apart people who are being made holy to reflect his image, made possible through the work that he has done through his gospel for his glory. Right, I mean, just take a look at this, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And notice, who does all this work and therefore to whom should all the glory go to? Just look at this. You can turn a couple pages over or you can see it on the screen. But it says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who deserves all blessings, who has blessed us in Christ, he's done it, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. It's in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You see this? It's unmistakable. God is the one who saves. God is the one who sanctifies. God is the one who works. God is the one who wills. God is the one who deserves all honor and deserves all praise. This is all about God. He does the work in his church and he deserves all the glory in his church. God is to receive all the glory in the church. To him be glory in the what? In the church. His work. His glory. And thirdly, we see that this is to be the way that it is forever. For every generation. This doesn't change. This doesn't change. Oftentimes, every generation comes up with a new method for the church, a new means to make the church work, new ways, new methods, new goals new strategies, right? They implement new techniques. We implement new ways. We come up with new goals. We'll say, well, hey, if we do this, this will work. Work for what? It's to be His work by His power, through His Spirit, in His way, His method, for His glory, and it's to be the same in every generation. Every generation. One time in seminary, I... uh, yeah, I was in seminary, the, the guy teaching in chapel, the preacher, he said, he said, as a, as a minister of the gospel, resolve right now to be unoriginal. Resolve to be unoriginal for the rest of your life. You know what that means is I don't have to come up with an innovative way to do this. We, I just get to repeat what he says. I just get to copy him, Right? And so resolve to be unoriginal. Don't don't come up with your own methods or your own ways. This is to be the way that it is in every generation. We don't figure out a way to become more relevant, right? And so this is what he's saying. And it's not only for every generation, but it's for what? Forever. This isn't the old way, and now we've developed a new way. This isn't outdated, and we don't come up with a better way. Someone said to me a couple weeks ago, he said, you guys are like new school, but old school. I said, I like that right? Because we have old methods, as old as as the Word of God, right? And this is the way in which God tells us to lead His church. We don't come up with a better, more effective, more relevant, more acceptable picture or pattern of the church. God has His way. So something we think will work better or something we'd rather have is not what we decide on. It's to be his power at work in his believers through his methods, by his means, for his glory forever, right? Throughout every generation. It doesn't have to change to be relevant to the next or the present generation. So now, I wanna launch out from here and I want to build this argument which will land us in the biblical characteristics of a biblical church with this as a foundation. And I wanna start with this idea. I wanna start with the fact that you should care. We should care as believers in Christ, you should care about the body of Christ. You should care about the body of Christ. That's where I wanna start. Number one, we should be people who care about the body of Christ. As we launch out from here and we teach on the biblical characteristics of a biblical church, I wanna start by helping us to understand, because you might say, well, I don't know if I really care. Well, we should care. You should care deeply about this. You should be a person who cares about the body of Christ. Now let me, let's clarify here as we start. When you talk about the body of Christ, there can be two visible, or two aspects that we're talking about when we talk about the body of Christ. First, we could be talking about the saved church, right? The saved church, the saved church. Those are believers in Christ. That's the true church. Right? The true church is made up of the elect. That's true believers in Christ who have truly come to know Christ Jesus. That's the church. There are people inside the visible church who might not be believers, but that's not the church. The church is the believers in Christ. Okay, So just a little bit of definition. So the saved church, Paul writes this. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into what? One body. So when we are born again by the spirit of God, we are put into the body of Christ that is the, what, church, the true church made up of saved people, okay? Now secondly, when we talk about the the church, there's also then the local assembly, the local assembly, and we should be people who care about the local assembly as well. And so in all the New Testament, we always see that believers are connected to other believers. When, When there's believers, truly saved people, that are organized, committed. They gather under qualified elders who teach and shepherd under the authority of God's word. That's a local assembly, right? So you might say that, hey, this is kind of overrated, right? Like I like to be in, um, by myself in a house with a Bible. You can do that, but that's not a church. Also, um, just be honest with yourself. You, you are not gonna grow like that. In fact, you will remain, you will, you will go backwards. You need to be with the body of Christ. You need to be with believers. You need to grow in your faith through being connected to the local body, the local assembly. And you know that because God sanctifies us. He teaches us to repent of sin. We hear the preaching of God's word and its explanation, what you oftentimes find it hard to do on your own when you read your Bible by yourself, right? We have to be connected to the local assembly. So this is what we see happens for the true believer, there's there's this local assembly, there's this visible church, there's this meeting, this gathering. And this is the way that Christ governs his people, through the local assembly. He makes them holy through the local assembly. You understand? Christ is the authority, he's the head, he governs through his word, through elders, shepherds, teachers. There's accountability and submission, there's commitment. As the believers gather together and minister to one another, and there is order, there is structure, and they represent Christ to the lost world, right? This is the church. And so my first word to you is, that, is this, that saved people should care about the body of Christ. And you should care about this. And here I'm focusing on particularly that you should care about the local assembly, If you know Christ, you should care about the local assembly. If you do not, I think it would be wise to assess your own salvation because the true church cares about Christ's body and particularly the local assembly. A truly born-again person follows these instructions. A truly saved person knows the truth about the local assembly and therefore cares deeply about it. Now, as we move on, concerning the local assembly in particular, What is the two what what are the main concerns of of the true believer? And I think we'll just put them into two categories that will be broad enough to cover um, maybe every category. So concerning the local assembly, the true believer cares about two main concerns. First, they care that the local assembly is a biblical church. They care that the local assembly is in the pattern of the scriptures has the characteristics of the Bible. If you're a true believer in Christ, you care deeply about this because you love Christ. You want his name to be honored. You know his word gives the instructions. You want him to be glorified. You want people to come to know him. You wanna be faithful to him. You care deeply about a body of Christ being what? Biblical, right? Because you know the truth about the word of God. You believe certain truths about the word of God. And you know that it's inspired directly by God and comes from God, and therefore you want anything that is for the glory of God to be according to what God says. So you must care deeply about this. We know that Jesus is the Lord of the church. It belongs to him. He's the head of the church. He's the shepherd of the church. Ephesians 1, says, verse 22 says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the what? To the church, it's Christ who's the head, which is his body, the, fill, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you must care deeply about this. He is the head, we are simply the stewards. That's it. How dare us come up with our own ways? Really. That is so proud and so fleshly for our own means and our own goals. He has a plan and a will and a desire for his church. He's got a prescription and he's got a description of what it should be. So we don't use our own cleverness, we don't come up with our own unique way, apart from his sound teaching and direction. Listen now, even if more, if methods appear to be working in this world, you get this idea of what is called pragmatism, which pragmatism is just the idea of something that quote unquote what? Works. But you gotta be careful with that because what's your definition of working, right? In the end, a church could look like it's working, but it could be producing nothing, right? And we don't turn to, listen now, we don't turn to corporations to define success for a church. Can you imagine that? There are, and and we need to know this, there are plenty of churches right around you who spend a lot of money annually to pay people who are lost, who don't know Christ, to teach them how to run a church and how to grow their church. What does the lost person know about accomplishing spiritual means? Nothing. There are also pastors right around you who pay people on a regular basis to write their sermons. There's no studying of the word of God diligently in order to edify their church body and shepherd them in the, in the truth and the word of God. How can the lost person define success for the church discover the keys to success for the church and teach the church how to have success. I mean, that is absurd, absolutely absurd. And so the true believer, you must care deeply and be concerned with and be convicted of the need for the local assembly to be faithful to the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. You gotta care about that deeply. You gotta stand on that. You gotta be willing to discuss that and confront with that. So the true believer cares deeply about the local assembly, particularly that it's biblical. And second, they care about this. They care about being connected. The true believer cares about the local assembly. They care first that it's biblical, and then they care second that they're connected to one, right? If you're a believer and you rarely uh, attend or participate in or serve or spend time with, you're not, that's not, the, the church is not making up the pattern and the rhythm of your life. Something is very off. You have, you have created your own method and your own definition of Christianity. And you're, you, you think that it's okay. Don't do that. And you should not be unnoticed or unknown. And you should not, you should not uh, fight to, to, to be autonomous by yourself. You need to be in the local body, and the local body needs to be biblical. A truly safe person cares about being obedient to Hebrews 10, which says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. A truly safe person understands the vitality, the obedience, the benefits of being connected to the body and therefore cares deeply about being connected to it. And not only being connected to it, but listen, if you're a true believer, you love the church. You love the local church and you love the people who are in the local church, right? That's a sign in First John, it tells us that's a sign of a true believer. And in John, it says this, a new commandment I give to you, love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You love the brother, you love the sister in Christ. You love the true church. You love believers who God has saved and redeemed and put his spirit inside and is working in. You love the church. So now, let's move on from here. If God has ordained that Christians should care about the local assembly, and particularly that it's biblical and that they need to be connected to it, then he's also made clear as to what those things should look like, right? And if that's what he requires, then that's what he's made clear. He's made these things clear. It wouldn't make any sense that he would require that of you as a believer and not make that clear for you, right? Tracking? So it's not some hidden mystery. If we were to care about these things, it wouldn't make sense that he withholds these instructions for us. I was listening to a a sermon the other day and it was just so helpful in understanding as you read the Bible uh, there are no allegories in the Bible so there's no like you don't read the Bible with some hidden mystery I think this is what God is saying he's working this experience in my life and he's kind of saying this through it you you are looking for the plain literal meaning of the scripture so what's the most obvious meaning before you is probably the true meaning of the scripture right some things are hard to understand some things there are there's a common use of language right there's parables there's metaphors there's there's uh, a, a lot of different things but that's just a common use of language you're not reading the bible allegorically you're looking for the plain literal interpretation of the scripture and what you read is probably what it means right what you what what's most obvious and so god has made plain what the church is supposed to look like and what you're how you're supposed to be connected to it. He's not keeping a mystery from you. Uh, I've told you guys this before, but even uh, uh, Pastor John MacArthur in in a sermon um, about God's will says, listen, if if you are just so concerned, what's God's will in my life? What's God's will in my life? What's God's will in my life? Well, you should care about that and the Bible makes that clear. And uh, the way in which you know God's will in your life is through the word of God, which is in special revelation, which is what? the Bible. And the Bible makes it clear what God's will is for your life. That's what you should be first concerned about, that you are saved. He says that you're sanctified, that you're spirit-filled. These are the obvious uh, plans of God for your life. That's God's will for your life. Now, if you mean, hey, well, I'm thinking about this particular thing in my life, he says, well, if it doesn't violate conscience and, and what biblically is revealed about being about what God's will is through special revelation for your life, if it doesn't violate conscience or biblical instruction, then do what you want. And, like, and God will open and close doors as, as he directs you, right? And, and that's what you kind of do anyway. You, you just remain faithful to the word of God. You say, hey, I want to have this job or marry this person in particular. And, and you look at what God commands in his word, and then you follow. And uh, he kind of opens and shuts doors, And so all that to say is, if this is what God's plan is for your life, that you care as a believer about the local assembly, then he has certainly made it clear as to what it's supposed to look like, right? Now how, the question is then, how does he make it clear? Well, the answer is obvious. It's in the what? The word of God. So number two, we are people who find their expectations about Christ's body in the word. It's pretty simple, right? This is how you should find it, the word of God. So we find the pattern for the church in the word. He, 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 what, what are the marks of a biblical church? What's the church supposed to look like? What is it supposed to do? How is it supposed to function? That means we don't follow leadership experts. We don't follow motivational entrepreneurial ideas. We don't strive for innovation. We don't follow our hearts. We don't turn to our own feelings. We don't uh, use our own wisdom, our own desires, our own thoughts as to how things should, should work best. You just... Keep it simple. Follow the what? The word of God. Resolve to be unoriginal. And uh, you gotta know the word of God to know what this means. And so many times it's complicated for us. I don't know what to expect from a church or to look for in a church because simply we don't know the word, right? Someone asked me recently, how, would I, how can I be a better leader in this area? Or how can I be a better father, better mother, better shepherd, better whatever? There's, it's so wonderful that God has only provided us with one great answer know this book better than anybody else around you. And you will be a great leader. And you're constantly expositing the Scriptures. You're constantly thinking about what the Scriptures say. You're constantly helping people to understand the Bible. And you're being directed by the Word of God. And that's how we know what a true church is, too. And so that's the means And we don't follow the expectations of the culture. We don't think about what will be popular, what will attract more people. We don't look at the traditions and practices of churches around us or use our own experiences. We're careful to have the right goals, which are discerning and it protects us from worldly ideas of what success means, like just a bunch of numbers, right? That's where we've defined success. That's how we've defined it. Wow, look at the fruit. Listen, listen. You know there can be a large organization with a lot of people doing what seems to work and not at all be biblical. Like, you you got to come to terms and understand that. And there there can be a small church hated, but yet honoring to the Lord. We don't say, well, what people need most is this. Well, what I need most is that. What will work is this. No, listen. We simply and carefully look to the Word of God and humbly obey it. Our goal is to just be faithful. This is hard to do because our flesh springs up but we wanna humbly obey. Our goal is to just be faithful. At the end of your life, you wanna humbly and faithfully have followed God, and that's it, until he takes you home. I mean, that's it. And and as you grow in your faith and mature, because this is hard for us to to grasp, we wanna be great ourselves. But you know the greatest thing you can do is let go of that ego, let go of that, that, uh, that image that you want in the world, and say, my greatest goal is to just be faithful to the word of God. And one day, he'll take me home probably sooner than I expect. And and you glorify him as your main goal, right? So listen, God, throughout the Old Testament, he spoke through people that were called prophets. He He spoke through priests. He spoke through signs and wonders. And then Christ came. And then he gave his divine revelation, the completed scripture, which was fully recorded, and then God used his divine revelation, right? As many pastors have said, there is no new revelation. So you who continue to go around looking for new revelation in your life, there is no new revelation. You got everything you need in the word of God. And it's worth, if you say, well, I want to see miracles. Well, just read it. He's done these miracles. Why do you need something? You, know? you say, well, I want to be signs and, I want to see signs and wonders. Well, read about them. He's done plenty of them. And now we have full record of his word that guides us. And so, listen, now he is spoken through his son. Hebrews 1 says, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. In these last days now, how has he spoken to us? Through his son, the word of God. And God's people are given knowledge, instruction, understanding through special revelation, which is the word of God. So listen, this is what it says. Psalm 119 says, your word is a look at this. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path it shows me the direction of this stuff right god's people become like christ they have the mind of christ they do the works of christ by the truth of christ understand john 17 says sanctify them in your truth your word is what so we must trust god's word that it's inspired that it's sufficient that it's authoritative about any given subject especially the what what the church you, understand? you get it? You there? You tracking? So now listen, if we have saved people who should care about the body of Christ, particularly the local assembly, if God makes this clear what we should expect and he does so through his word, then what God has revealed in his word about the body of Christ should be what we expect about the body of Christ. So what has he revealed? In other words, what has God revealed in his word under this local assembly, the two aspects that we should care about? meaning a church being biblical and meaning being connected to the body of Christ. What has he, what is he uh, made clear? Well, we're going to spend most of our time in the rest of today and then in next week about, this, about uh, number three, the biblical characteristics then of a biblical church. And we'll talk about six aspects today. We're just going to cover one and then we'll finally end with that last issue of being connected to it. Right, but this is pretty simple. So many. Let me tell you, I'm not new to this. I mean, I'm not new in doing this or 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 special. Many pastors have taught to their congregations and written about um, what a biblical church should be. They might package it a little different. The headings might be different. They might say things in different ways. But every church needs to know what a biblical church is, and we do too. So you can read a book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. We're going to be the resource center. There's going to be new um, stuff out there. But the main focus is going to be, you say, well, we cleared it out. Why do we do that? We're going to be just filling it up with books. It's going to be a resource library. We're going to have little stickers on it. Make sure you look at that sticker that says, for uh, looking only, right? And then we will order that book for you the following week. But we want you to be informed about uh, great and wonderful things in, uh, in what books we should read and what books... We shouldn't read. And so um, there will be plenty of books out there like that particular book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and you can read it. And that's gonna be out there soon. But so you know the right books to read about these things. Uh, you can also listen to a message called Marks of a Faithful Church by Pastor John MacArthur. You can look on the Desiring God website, um, John Piper. You can, um, you know, if you wanna know what a biblical church should be, just make sure you're listening to and reading the, the right people is, my, is what I'm trying to say to you, right? So... We need to teach this as well, though, here. So obviously, we can't cover everything, but all the foundations of a biblical church, you you know, we we can't cover it all, but hopefully we deal with these broad scopes that might incorporate everything else. So if you say, well, what about this? Well, it might be under one of these broad headings. So here's what they are. I'm gonna give you six, and we're just gonna cover the first today. So what are the marks, the characteristics of a biblical church? Well, first, this church should be committed to the supremacy of God. Second, it should be committed to the authority of Scripture. Third, it should be committed to the priority of holiness. Fourth, it should be committed to the plurality of qualified eldership and the accountability of qualified membership. Fifth, it should be characterized by the responsibility of gospel proclamation. And sixth, the necessity of love. So these are the biblical characteristics of a biblical church, the supremacy of God, the authority of Scripture, the priority of holiness, the plurality of qualified eldership, and the accountability of qualified membership, the responsibility of gospel proclamation, and six, the necessity of love. So this is what we'll cover in the next couple of weeks. Okay, got it? Today, we'll cover number one, the supremacy of God. So to make this clear, let's just take these characteristics one at a time and cover this first one. First, a biblical church should be characterized... By the supremacy of, of who? God. Now, don't take this lightly. and Think you got this figured out, okay? This is what we're going to spend the rest of our time with. You might have it figured out, but I want it to still move in your heart. Colossians 1 says this. Look at this. You ready? For by him, all things were created. In heaven, look at this, and what? On earth. Visible and invisible that sure seems like a lot, right? It's to get you to this point at the end, which says this, that in everything, he might be, what? Preeminent. He is the, the, he is supreme. He is to be exalted. He is the highest authority and value. and His glory should be what we care about the most. He's the one who does the work. He is who we look to. He is who we love. He is who we follow. That in everything, Christ may have what? Supremacy. Ephesians 1, I want you to look back at this. We left off in verse uh, 14. But I just want us to follow along, and I want us to just follow along to the end of chapter two. And I just want you to see the focus of God in the church. Let's, Let's just look at this. You ready? For this reason, verse 15, He says, for when I've heard of your faith, so these people who have the faith in the Lord Jesus, verse 17, look, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what? Glory, he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And this Christ is above all rule, all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is to be named, not only in this age, but also in the one to one. To come. He put all things under his feet, gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is all about God. Now you might say, well, what about us? I I want, well, let me just tell you about us. Okay? You say, well, what's, you know, then if we're focused on God, what about us? Well, here, just look at chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We were dead in our trespasses. And since, this is the way we once walked. We followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's a pretty big difference between us and God, huh? Now listen, and let me just say a note here. When you share your faith and when you talk about the world, don't use euphemistic language. Meaning like, let me just tone this down so I don't offend anybody. This is, the, this is God's language about the world, about the lost world. Use this language. Use biblical language in everything you do. Don't be original in your language because this is what will convict the world of sin and this is what will show their need for a savior. This is what God says about those who don't know Christ. And this is what we all once were before knowing Christ. This is the truth. But now watch this, verse four, but God, he's the one who does it. He's rich in mercy. It's because of his great love with which he loved us that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace we're saved. He raised us up. He seated us with him so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace, we have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of who? God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Therefore, Though, though we were once the Gentile uncircumcisioned, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, verse 12 says. We were strangers to the covenant of promise. Look at this at the end of verse 12. We had no hope and we were without God in the world. That was the story of your life before Christ. But now in Christ, we who were far off, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. He abolished uh, the dividing wall of hostility, verse 16, he reconciled us to him, verse 17, he came and preached peace to those who were far off, verse 18, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, we're no longer strangers, aliens, we're fellow citizens with the saints, and look at this, members of the household of who? Whose house is it? God. We're built at the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's to say, again, don't be, we don't, we're not original. We're not innovative. It's built on the foundation of the apostles, which is the word of God, right? Now think about this. Go further with me. Verse 20. I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah. Jesus Christ, he's the cornerstone. Verse 21, the the whole structure is joined together, grows into a holy temple in who? The Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for who? God. Listen now. A true church is committed to the supremacy of God. In the Lord's Prayer, what's the first petition? Hallowed be your what? Name. Name. That your name would be hallowed on the earth, that your name would be loved and, and set apart and distinct as someone who is separate, who is higher, who is holy, who we have reverence for, who we respect who the world sees as God and doesn't push aside. But this is what we desire, that he, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. It's his kingdom that you're in if you're in the kingdom of God. Therefore, he's your what? King. If you're in his kingdom, anyone who's part of a true church is in the true kingdom of God, has a king, and that king is God. And so God holds all supremacy. God rules. God reigns supremely. The church is about exalting God. It's Christ-centered. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's made up of children of the promise, not children of the flesh, who have come into the kingdom of God under the lordship of Jesus Christ, who have been born again by his Spirit, and they're highest goal then is to glorify God. Their highest priority is to worship God. Their highest objective is to know God. Their highest ambition is to obey God. Their highest longing is to become like God. Their highest hope is to one day be with God. That's the church. That's a true believer. And if that's not the goal of your life, then you have to assess whether or not you are part of the true church. And that's what you must look for. The true church knows that they've been created by God, saved by God, they're sanctified by God, and it's all for God. It's a place that realizes how great and how glorious God is. It's made up of a people and a leadership that love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. It recognizes the divine characteristics of God, that he's different from us. His holiness, his omniscience, his omnipotence, and submits to to God's divine authority. Listen, a, a true church is the one who recognizes, as Psalm 146 says, that he's made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is what? Do you know everything that's in the sea? Do you have any idea what's in the sea? I mean, we've been looking for a long time. And we still discover new things that is in, that's in the sea. But who made it? God, and who made everything that's in it? There's only one. There's only one God. Now, you might say, hey, look, I got this one down. This is obvious, right? Yeah, of course, the church should be about God. But let me tell you how this fleshes out practically. People who are about God, a place that is about God, is eager to hear the word of God, right? People who love God and there's the supremacy of God in their life are eager to hear his word. I heard a message recently, uh, I think Josh, Pastor Josh sent it to me, I don't know where, he left, he always leaves in service, just kidding. He's, he, he's, uh, he sent a message, uh, uh, a sermon to me that uh, a couple of these guys listened to recently and the pastor, Paul Washer, he said, isn't it amazing that you can sit down for an hour and watch Netflix or play on your phone or be on Instagram or be on Facebook or be on any of those things, and you don't even move. I mean, you're so content to just sit there. You don't even need to flinch. You, you, you know? But then you get up and you go sit at the table and you try to read your Bible. And After like one chapter, you're like melting, right? I, I just can't even you know, sit here any longer, right? Or you come into the, you come into the church and you say, wow, you know, we gotta listen to the word of God for one hour. Listen, do you understand that your flesh obviously does not want the word of God because your flesh does not want God. But you can just go around following your feelings. You don't just go around following what your feelings want and say, hey, look, my feelings don't want to read my Bible, so I guess I won't. My, my feelings don't want to go to church, so I guess I won't. You say, hey, look, God's my king, and so I have to fight my flesh and come under the rule and authority of God. Just because you feel a certain way doesn't make it right. Just because you feel a certain way doesn't make it true right you judge everything by the word of god and so a true believer in christ a true church wants to hear and obey god's word they want to a, a true believer who who is under the authority of god who there's the supremacy of god a true church is eager then to also repent of sin that dishonors god so be careful before you say there's the supremacy of god in my life or the supremacy of god in this church they're eager then to proclaim the God's salvation. They want nothing, nothing more than for pe- people who don't know God to, than to, for them to know God. So they proclaim his gospel. They're people who are eager to progress in holiness. They're people who are eager to maintain the purity of the church. They're people who are eager to be in prayer because that's connection to God and they're dependent on God. Matthew 21 says, it is written, my house shall be called what? because God is is needed by the people, right? This is, a true church is one that regularly recognizes and responds to the supremacy of God. And you may think this is a no-brainer, but listen now. Many churches honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. This means that the church is not characterized by the supremacy of numbers by the supremacy of growth, by the supremacy of leadership, by the supremacy of fame, by the supremacy of acceptance, by the supremacy of wealth, by the supremacy of applause, by the supremacy of the American dream, by the supremacy of events, the supremacy of clever ideas. Listen to this in 2 Timothy 2. He writes, Paul writes, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The true church isn't, entangled in civilian pursuits. Like this is what the world pursues. This is how the world defines success. This is how the world desires to be. We're not entangled in that. Our goal, our aim, a true church's aim is to please who? The one who enlisted them. God. You can let go of your ego. You can let go of your identity. You can let go of all of that. And just humbly obey God. Be faithful to him. Listen, the true church's goal is to honor and worship the faithful creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what Romans 1 says. Now we're almost done here. So listen, can I tell you something? I'm gonna tell you anyway. A true church then applies itself to have the deepest and widest and broadest, what? knowledge of, of God, because that's who they want to know. And then when that knowledge is, it comes from the understanding who God is through the Word of God, you know then what the result is? Worship. And then when worship happens and people are constantly exalting God, then there's a supremacy of God in the church. Listen, listen now. Some of you might say, listen, I understand God should be first. I just don't feel about him the way that you're describing right now like there's no worship and supremacy in my heart, probably because you don't know very much about him. So you seek to understand him, to come to the knowledge of God in his word. The more that you know about him and what his word says, the more worship will rise up in your heart. If you say, my heart doesn't feel very worshipful on a regular basis, probably because you have not enough time in the word of God, right? So, listen, that leads us into the fact that the second correct characteristic of a biblical church is the supremacy of God in the church is inseparably connected with the supremacy of the scriptures in the church, which will be our point number two, and we'll start up with that next week. So, let me say this as we close. I just want to make a few th- points. First, I wish we could finish up with all five points today, but it would be rushed. But please don't miss next week. And, steadfast, let me encourage you, Josh. If you can, lead your people to maybe listen to next week's message as well so that your people can stand on and just continue to be enlightened by what a biblical church is because we're going to need to stand on that in order to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. I also want to say this, that today is um, also Reformation Sunday. Anybody know that? And uh, we don't, you know, I don't think a lot of people know about this, and God has really encouraged me recently, but uh, remembering that on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted his 95 what? On the doors of the castle in Wittenberg, Germany. Now here, let me just tell you this, how perfect to talk about ecclesiology and also to send off a church on this day, right? Now listen, now stay with me, we're almost done. And even as we send out this church, I want to make a few comments about this in point number two next week under the authority of Scripture because um, that's really what ignited the Reformation. Dr. Steve Lawson says that the Reformation is the greatest back-to-the-Bible movement in history. That's That's what it resulted in. That's what ignited it. It was coming back to the scriptures, to the Bible. Now, let me just tell you this. We're gonna have a lot of those books outside as we build the library as well, but let me just tell you, if you have not spent a lot of time studying the Reformation, please start to do that because here's what you gotta know. We aren't just like standing on our own ideas when we do this. We're coming from a long line of people who have given their lives for this, and it's incredible. It's an incredible history. Now, let me say this too. And I want to speak to our people at Steadfast and to us. Just listen, we're almost done. I know that there will be much fruit from Steadfast's faithfulness. Listen closely now. There will be much fruit from Steadfast's faithfulness. People will come to know Christ. People will follow Christ. But I also want us to be people who as we're faithful to these scriptures, listen, expect opposition. We need to be people who also expect opposition, and that's where I want you to pray for steadfast. Because listen now, the church, specifically the American church, is so surprised when there's opposition to faithfulness. We naively think this. We're faithful to the Word. We're faithful to the Scriptures. Why is anything, why could we be opposed? How, how could anything bad? Why would people say anything bad about us? We must be doing something wrong. No, 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 no. That's not true. I, I, how I long for the day when we are a church who is not surprised by opposition if we're just remaining faithful to the Word. You, got, you can't expect that that's something wrong with the church, but that's not what we want and seek, but that's what's going to happen. But let me tell you this. Listen, if you, go past, if, if you go down through history, right? If you go down through history, I mean, you just start all the way back with the prophets, then to the Jesus, then the apostles, then the reformers, the Puritans, and then even move on to modern day uh, people. I mean, think about the history of all those people. Prophets were killed. Jesus was killed. All the apostles were killed except John, who was what? Exiled on an island. Then you get to the, to, the, uh, to the reformers. Then you get to the Puritans. And then we even get to modern day uh, pastors who are, uh, you know, 10,000 things written about them per day about how they are whatever. That's untrue, right? I want us to be a people who expect and steadfast. We have to pray for them to, because they will experience opposition for being true to the word of God. So don't every time... There's opposition in the church. If we're faithful to the word of God, flinch and say, is there something wrong? I'm going to try to figure this out. Right, listen. you're Faithful to the word of God, opposition will come. Let me end with this. Listen. Martin, uh, Spurgeon's wife, she put a plaque up on his wall. You'd say there would be a lot of things that a, a supportive wife could put up on the wall of a, of a preacher. And here's what she put. Matthew five eleven through 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The true church, listen now, can rejoice when opposition comes because it's a confirmation they are standing for something, they are standing for truth. And if they are standing for truth, it's a sign of their true salvation. And if they have true salvation, then they can rejoice that their reward will be great in heaven. So the true church can rejoice when opposition comes. I want you to know that that is a common expectation for those who are faithful to the word. And again, I wanna show you through church history that you should expect this. Some of the greatest people alive, uh, who ever lived, were killed for doing things like translating the Bible so people could read it right? Learn to expect us. So let's pray. And uh, we pray, I, I pray that we, not only this church, but that we would all remain steadfast as a biblical church. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and we're grateful for your word that guides us, that we should be people who care about a church being biblical, aligning with the scriptures. We should understand you give us instruction in this in the word. You teach us that the characteristic... Of a true church, we should be committed to the supremacy of God, to you, God, being exalted, worshiped, lifted up, the one we serve, the one we obey, the one we love. God, I also pray uh, that we would be people who pray for steadfast church, that we would be people also um, at the field church who uh, pray for the word to go forth, but we would be also people who aren't surprised by and don't flinch at opposition when. False things are said when people are opposed to the truth, when uh, that the world who doesn 't love the truth or love you, God um, responds negatively to, towards the truth. Uh, my concern is that we would not give up, that we would not act as if something is wrong, that we would not surrender to the culture to just be part of the crowd, but that we would spend this short life that we have as a church and as individuals to stand for your truth so that many people would come under your reign and rule and be saved. We pray this, God. We pray for them and we pray for our church that we wouldn't be people who flinch at opposition. And uh, let us, again, be characterized by by being committed to the supremacy of you, God, in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.